welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. This week is known throughout the land as Holy Week, and it is the week that we are celebrating the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Savior. And while on the Christian calendar, there are a lot of important events, and certainly Christmas is a huge event, but Christmas is not glorious without Easter. Our salvation is not glorious without Easter. Our lives are hopeless without Easter. You see, Easter proves that Jesus was exactly who the Old Testament said he was. Easter proves uh, that everything he said about himself during the earthly ministry was true. Easter proves that this was God's son incarnate, born of a woman, born of God, coming to redeem his people. You see, at Easter, which we want to talk about today, it is the hope that fuels our ministry, our mission, the gospel, and the Great Commission. And so we go to all nations proclaiming the good news of Christ Jesus, not simply that he came, but that he gave himself as a substitute, as a ransom for our sins. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And before the coming of Christ, that's exactly who we were. We were the unrighteous. We were those that would not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul continues, do not be deceived neither the sexually immoral or nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And if Paul were to stop there, then the whole of humanity, you and I, would be hopeless. We were the unrighteous. We were the swindlers. We were the immoral. We all are prone to idolatry. But Paul says in verse 11, and such were some of you, but now you've been washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of God. You see, it's Easter that is that washing. It's Easter that is that justification. It's Easter that is that sanctification. If you're listening to this podcast and maybe you've wondered here, or maybe you've been listening for a while, but but you, you, you just nominally get this whole idea of gospel. This is the gospel in a nutshell at Easter, that we who were unrighteous, unable to stand before God, God didn't just send a way. He became the way, the truth, and the life. He came as a baby, born of a woman, to live the life, the sinless life that we could not live. And ultimately to sacrifice his life at Calvary. But the good news of Easter that we celebrate, which even gives hope that fuels the mission of adoption and pro-life ministry, is that the grave cannot contain him. Death could not hold him. We continue to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Because on the third day, the Lord's day, on Sunday, Lord Jesus rose again to conquer our punishment, to conquer our sin, and to give us a new life. And beloved, that is the reason. We adopt. That is the reason that we defend the fatherless. That is why we are passionate supporters of life. 
And so before I bring on the venerable Dr. Rick, uh, I want to just remind you of Pelican's Snowballs. Uh, during this month, the month of April, Pelican Snowballs is partnering with Lifeline to care for vulnerable children and families. Pelican Snowballs has almost 200 stores in 14 states, and the participating stores are matching donations dollar to dollar up to $10,000 during the month of April. And so what do you have to do? How do you respond? How do you match this dollar for dollar? All you do is visit one of Pelican Snowball stores, or you can visit PelicanSSNOballs.com, PelicanSnowballs.com. You can also get that link in our show notes to find a location near you and to partner with Pelican Snowballs as they take a stand for orphans. Well, it's that time of our show that Certainly the feedback shows it's the time that everyone looks forward to. Uh, it's like uh, Mr. Robert Rogers' neighborhood when he Fred Rogers bust in the front door and the kids go crazy. It's that time where we bring in the venerable, the respected, the honorable Dr. Rick. Dr. Rick, I know that certainly as we start off that intro on a light note, this is a serious topic today because it really does fuel everything that we do here at Lifeline. But also as a believer, it fuels our hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Absolutely. You know, and Herbie, I think it's one of the things I'd, you know, really like for us to talk about today and kind of delve into is a conversation we've been having internally and something we've been talking about, you know, amongst ourselves. And it's the relationship between Easter and adoption. Quite frankly, in Christian circles, those are two ideas that don't necessarily get associated together. We think about Easter. Um, I think sometimes, honestly, we think wrongly about Easter. And I appreciated what you said in the opening about um, Christmas, you know, not being the the the, the complete emphasis. Um, we love the fact that the incarnation occurred. And, and that's that's a huge part of the story. But the story is not complete without without the resurrection. And and so for years of serving in a local church, honestly, we talked about Easter in terms of that being our Super Bowl. And it wasn't our Super Bowl because people dressed up or because people, you know, showed up and we had a lot of services and all that sort of thing. It was our Super Bowl because it was the it was the one day on the calendar that everybody was reminded exactly why we're here and exactly what it is that we you know, that we celebrate. And it's occurred to me as in, in this idea of kind of, you know, thinking about adoptions that Eastern adoption are related, because if it were not for the resurrection, you and I wouldn't be sons of God. We, we wouldn't be adopted into the family of God. And there's so much that, that we know practically about place and authority and ability to adopt and all those kind of things that happen in an earthly sense. But all of those things are, are true in the story of, of heavenly adoption. And so part of what qualifies Jesus to be the, the way for us to be adopted into the family of God is the fact that he showed his supremacy over everything when he got out of the grave and he showed himself to be authoritative overall. And so, yes, he paid the penalty for our sins, but he also showed himself to be sovereign. And I think, you know, there's there are so many threads and themes that, you know, go through that. I mean, the not the least of which is um, the irrevocability that comes in, you know, in the resurrection, the resurrection is final. Like it is Easter is it. And so there's no, there's no rest of the story. There's history yet to play out, but, but the victory's won, you know, the work has been done. And the thing that was sealed in the empty tomb 
is still sealed today and will be sealed forever. And, and we talk about that so much, even in, you know, like the legal stance or, or the, the legal identity and adoption that once an adoption is declared, it's declared. There's no, you know, there's no revocability. You don't go back and change it. It's not, it's a legal reality that stands forever. And it essentially, like it has to be based on some authority. Mm. And, and, and I think the thing that, you know, that, that we, part of what we have to reflect back on during Easter is not just God's profound love for us, not just his, his coming to us in Jesus, but the sheer power and the sheer irrevocability of, of what God did. God has shown certainty um, through all of time about himself and about his plan and about his intention for us and about his, his character as a redeemer. And man, that ought to fuel how we think about how we live in the world. It ought to fuel how we think about how we go to vulnerable children and how we go to vulnerable families and the way that we approach, you know, things like adoption. And so they're not disconnected themes. They're they're very much, you know, intricately, um, you know, closely tied kinds of themes. And and I think as believers, we have to think that way in order to, you know, really draw the both the strength and the inspiration for what it is that we step in and do in, you know, in the lives of vulnerable children. Yeah. And I, I think even to to highlight and accentuate exactly what you've just said, Dr. Rick, you know, you look at at Paul again to the church at Rome, and he's writing this letter, and you know, really. A gospel manifesto as he starts with sin mm-hmm. and, and talks about that we've all sinned and fallen short of that glory. You know, Romans one, we like to point the finger, and then Romans three says, "Nope, so were you. This is who you are." And Romans six comes and and starts to bring forth the hope of the gospel. But then Romans eight starts out. So now, because of Easter, if you are in Christ, if He is your sufficiency, if He is your Lord, if He is your Savior, there's now no condemnation. Paul says, for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law, which is exactly what you've talked about, the law of the spirit of life has set you free and from the law of sin and death. So so we've passed from from one life, from from one stage, from being orphans. And and, and I love even the imagery of the law, the old law being like an orphanage. It was keeping us till the time of Christ. It was it was keeping us safe. It was giving us boundaries for protection, but it wasn't the life. You know, the law passed through the Levitical covenant and Exodus and Leviticus, and it was never meant to be the permanent way that we come to the Lord. It was meant to be God's saving grace, God's grace wrapped around his people to preserve them for the coming of Christ. But now that now that Christ has come, we're no longer, as this says, over the old law, which was weakened by flesh and it couldn't do. But now the, the Lord, verse three, has sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh, but who didn't sin. And then Paul goes on and says, and now, beloved, because of this reality, you are no longer slaves, but you are now being led by the Spirit of God, and you are sons of God. And it actually uses the word in verse 15 when it says, you have received the spirit of adoption. And so certainly we don't want to mix this beautiful metaphor of adoption and salvation, but there is a reality by which even in a post-Dobbs world, when we're living in a post-Roe v. Wade world, that as believers, we realize that part of the solution to coming alongside of, of women and vulnerable children 
is adoption. And, and it's not necessarily even, hey, I'm a mom and a dad that desire a child. Sometimes it's just coming alongside of a vulnerable family and saying, I'm going to claim them and I'm going to walk alongside of them and I'm going to help them. And so what we see is that our response echoes and mimics the response of our father. And, you know, you and I have talked about this with, you know, your relationship with Eric and I know my relationship with Caleb that in their younger days, they mimicked everything that we did. Like, uh, you know, if, if we were wearing something, they thought that was cool, you know, for both of us, not so much anymore, but, but there was a time when they were younger, young boys that they wanted to mimic their father. They, They did what they saw. And in the same way, because of the glorious nature of Easter, which revolutionarily changes our lives. It changes and and puts us on a totally different trajectory. We now want to mimic our father. And so part of our care is fueled by this gospel reality that we have been saved, that that he didn't leave us as orphans. He came to us. He didn't give us the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but he gave us the spirit of sonship. And so as sons of God, we want to mimic our father and what he's doing in the world. And, And that's the reason that we care. That's the reason that we stand up. That's the reason that we adopt. That's the reason that we foster. That's the reason that we get engaged. And I think you and I would agree right now in this time, you know, almost a year uh, towards the Dobbs decision, first Easter since the Dobbs decision, you know, it's imperative that as the people of God, we follow our Savior and mimic him and start to, to care, not just for life in the womb, but we ultimately show the gospel grace to life outside the womb and that we become pro-woman and pro-child and pro-family. And I, I think, Herbie, and I don't want to stretch the metaphor too far, but I think this is true, that part of, part of what we have to lean into in this is that we have to do and have to act based on truth, not based on how we feel. And truly something we see, and I've, I mean, I'll say, and my kids would say, there is an orphan spirit that exists as well, that, you know, that sometimes the the questions of the past and the unknowns of the past and those kinds of things creep in and cause us to, to believe things about ourselves and believe things about our circumstances that are, you know, that are not true. Mm. And, and so I would point in Romans six to a place where Paul sets it really straight and, and he says, it's Romans 6, 8 through 11. He says, now, if we died with Christ, and he's not asking, did we? He's saying, look, if this is true, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Mm-hmm. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Mm-hmm. And, and I think part of the reality of, of us living into this calling that God's placed on our lives to care for orphan and vulnerable children is there is a self-sabotaging cultural narrative out there that that says, hey, you know, follow your feelings. If you feel like you can do it, you can and, and all this. And I think the, the, that ultimately the story of the gospel is saying that we can't. <laughs> we can't. We don't possess the ability. We don't possess the ability to adopt well. We don't possess the ability to foster well. We don't possess the ability to, to change the lives of children. We don't possess any of that. But Christ possesses all of it. And because of what he does in us and through us and because of what he says about us, we have the ability to do the work that he's called us to do. And so we get the privilege of living this thing out, not because we're so strong and not because we're, you know, we're so adept and we're so ready, but we do it because we're so weak and we're so insignificant. But we're in a place where when those good things happen, there's very little recourse except to say those things happen as as a result of the manifold grace of God. 
those are those are are things that God does. And so it's appropriate for us to in these days to think about how do we um, how do we adopt more? How do we care for more vulnerable children? How do we delve deeper into foster care? And that we do that not just because we're good people or because there's a social problem. We do it because we ultimately believe in the power and the authority of the resurrection. And, and as believers, when we step in and do hard things, particularly when we step in and do hard things and, and we acknowledge that, hey, we're over our heads and doing hard things. Those are the places where where God has the most room to show up and show off. And so you think about that. And again, in the Easter story, where was the place that God was able to show up and show off the most? It was in the empty tomb because in an earthly sense, all hope was lost. Yeah. It, you know, the followers had given up. They were they were running from the hills and were, you know, dejected. The the disciples of Jesus were, you know, scattered to the four winds and acting really in all manner of ways, in ways that were kind of embarrassing <laughs> to, you know, to Christ. And yet in the darkest hour, what happens? You know, Jesus prevails. And and I think we get the opportunity to be the living testimony of those kinds of things. It's not a, you know, name it and claim it, prosperity theology kind of thing. It's an overwhelming trust in in Christ and not in ourselves to do things that Christ calls us to do. Yeah. Amen. I mean, and, and even taking what you just said, you know, these were not heroes, right? Um, the disciples that that were were going around and, and going blazes going, hey, the Savior's going to raise up. We heard him. We heard his prophecies. He kept saying it while he was alive. You know, this temple's going to be torn down and rebuilt in three days. And, and they didn't understand it. Instead, they're found holed up in a room scared to death. You know, and I think a lot of the times, I, I think, again, not trying to force the imagery, but but so are such as, as we, you know, we've been given the victory of the cross. And yet we're so scared to have anything penetrate what we believe is the safety of this life. The truth of the matter is those disciples were not safe in that hold up room on the third day. Right. They got hungry. Somebody had to leave that room and go fish. They had to leave that room at some point. They couldn't live in that room. But but I think a lot of times we we do that as believers in Christendom is we we hold ourselves up into places where we believe that we are safe. And it is just a facade of safety. The true safety that we have is stepping out in the fullness of the gospel of Christ Jesus and going where the Lord asks us to go. And the truth of the matter is, I think the other thing is we do have a bit of the wrong idea of the prosperity of God. God is going to bring prosperity for his name and his glory. But every last disciple, right, that was holed up in that room, stepped out finally when they realized the power of Easter Sunday and they realized the power that was there. And you know what? Each one of those 11 and the 12th that would join them in Acts chapter one, they went out and they were persecuted. They were imprisoned. And ultimately, every last one of them, except for John, gave their life, you know, for Christ. The story ended in what what earthly seems like tragedy. But we know standing right here today that it is because of the faithfulness of those even those 12 men to go and to spread the glory and the fame of Christ Jesus that we have heard the message. And and Jesus talks about those when he when he visits Thomas and and Thomas goes, you know, I, I wasn't here, but but I'm not going to believe that he's risen unless I see the 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 hands and unless I see the the holes in his hands and his feet. And Jesus speaks to us and he says, oh, Thomas, you see 
but blessed are those who do not see and yet still believe. And so we are the we're the workmanship of that. And so, beloved, adoption is tough. Adoption is hard. Stepping out to care for the vulnerable is not easy. And as a matter of fact, it will cost us our comfort. It will cost us our safety. It will cost us our security. But ultimately, we were never lived for security or safety. We were lived for the glory of Christ so that ultimately the vulnerable, the vulnerable woman, the vulnerable child, the lost, those around the world could come to know what true safety is. And that's in a relationship with Christ Jesus, knowing that our hope cannot be tarnished because Jesus has has conquered this life, has conquered death and he's conquered the cross so that not only did he raise victoriously on the third day, but one day. We also will rise with him and death will truly at that point have no more sting. Death will truly not have victory. And so we go, as Paul even says, with the death in us each and every day, right? As those that are dying, but living, living for the glory of Christ. And so I pray that this Easter fuel, this gospel fuel that was started and generated with the resurrection of Christ on Easter Sunday will fuel our mission, will fuel our going. And yes, it's tough. You and I have talked about even since Roe v. Wade has been overturned, we've seen more spiritual attack within our staff. We've seen it within our leadership team. Um, we've seen a uh, hardship. Obviously, many have seen the, the attacks on crisis pregnancy centers. We've seen legislation trying to bar believers from getting engaged in foster care and an adoption in certain places. Uh, we've seen slowdown of countries around the world. But yet... This has been a beautifully difficult year, and the Lord continues to make a way when his people are faithful. And so, you know, the glory of Easter fuels our mission. It fuels our our stepping out of our facades of comfort to say, I'm willing to take a risk. I'm willing to get my life messy on sake of those that are vulnerable, of those that are perishing. And ultimately, and I know we believe this wholeheartedly, we don't just do it. In order to show justice, we do it to make the gospel known. And so we're pressed into this service because of the great reality of what the gospel's done in us in order to make the gospel known as we care for physical needs and spiritual needs and mental needs of those around us. You know, and this may be a little silly, but I, I think about when I think about this, you know, kind of all of this and the culmination of it, all of us have had the experience sometime of having a really hard day or having a really hard trip or a really hard season and coming home, right? Like coming home and that feeling of, wow, it's home. Like I, I can, I can relax. I can, I can be, I'm, I'm, I'm safe and I'm among my people. And I think Herbie, the thing we have to remember in all this is, is this is not our home. This is not our place to unpack and relax and and be comfortable. This is this is not the the place where our soul finds rest. And so so in the midst of these things, I mean, Jesus, Jesus was very explicit to us that in this life we will have trouble. We will experience, you know, difficult things because we continue to live in the presence of sin. But we press on because we have the promise of home. And I think um Yes, it's tough. And I think it's getting tougher. And we look at the news and we look at the things that are happening around us and we see the the shifts and changes that are that are taking place. And it's easy sometimes to become discouraged and to think that the things that we're doing don't matter. And the things we do matter, they do affect change because they're they're empowered by God. Ultimately, the things that we do matter because we do those things to him and for him. And so God sees 
And God is cognizant of and God is blessed by those things that we do uh, on his behalf in, in his name. And so I, I just, you know, one of the things that I would I would want to say at this point is there are probably people that are listening to us that are that are having a hard time in this season. We've confessed we've had some hard times in this season. And but the reality of those hard times is to experience them in light of what we know to be true which what we know to be true is that the sufferings of this present age are temporary and the glory yet to come is eternal. And we have the promise that because of what Christ has done, because of the resurrection, we don't have to sit around and worry and wait. We don't have to, we don't have to wonder is all of this going to work out and is God going to be able to, to pull off what he says he's able to pull off because he's already done it. And it's already real and it already exists. And and I think for people, for us that are in the midst of sometimes feeling hopeless or feeling challenged, that's where you have to dig into the scriptures and you have to dig into the character of God and say that it doesn't matter how I feel. What I know to be true is true and God will prevail. And ultimately, as I said, from Romans six, we will prevail as well because we have died with Christ and therefore we no longer live. It's Christ living in us. And so for us to, to continue to demonstrate that to a world that's dying to know the truth of the gospel, we have to press on and we have to keep going and we have to keep doing these things that demonstrate the the character and ultimately the plan of God to the world and adoption and foster care and caring for vulnerable families. And, and all of those things are things that explicitly the scriptures point us to as, as ways that we show the heart of God to people. Yeah. Amen. And, you know, you, you were obviously quoting from first Peter there that uh, yeah. in this world, you will have trouble, but it also says, but take heart um, for he has overcome the world. And our hope is not in in our strength. Our hope is not in our ability to be able to tackle these issues on our own. Our hope is in the one who's already overcome the world. Our, our hope is in the the Savior who is to come, and and He is the one that that gives joy that we can find joy in amidst our tribulation. And uh, that's why I think you and I both have confessionally talked about, we, we love the book of Philippians, joy amidst suffering, because it consistently reminds us that even when things are tough, even that when things are hard, the ultimate emotion of the heart that is unfleeting is joy. Joy that is is inexpressible, joy that cannot be taken, joy that cannot be snatched, joy that cannot be stolen, because we know that just like your analogy, this is not our home and we're living for a much better place. And, you know, you and I laugh because we're very much alike whenever we travel, we have to get adjusted to wherever we are. And so we unpack and we put our clothes out and it's a sickness, by the way, we'll, it we'll confess to other people. It's a sickness, but it's real. It's it's real. It's a sickness. And if you want to know how sick I am, ask my wife, because I will be completely unpacked. Even if I get home at 2 a.m., I'm going to be unpacked like I'm going to be ready. But, you know, never once when we're traveling, do we unpack with the expectation that our stuff is going to stay where it is and that this is our home. Like we're unpacking temporarily. So we're investing a part of ourselves in this new temporary dwelling, but knowing right that 
we're going to pack up and leave. Like this is, this is, we're not taking up roots. And so, you know, in the same way, we need to remember this life. We, this, this is, we're not putting down roots. We're not, we're not, we're not doing things. And so the things that we have are temporary. And so we utilize them for the glory of Christ for something that is far more of a reality. And beloved, if you want to know, and, and I don't want to get on a, another tangent, but if you want to know why Lifeline is committed to the gospel, it is because adoption without the gospel is temporary and fleeting, but adoption with the gospel is eternal. Our hope and our heart is that the children that are adopted into the homes that we work with, our hope is that the children who are influenced by the foster families that they have come into, our hope is that the moms and the vulnerable families that we minister to will ultimately be introduced to a hope that is imperishable and to a joy that is eternal because they come to know the reality of Easter that's burning in their hearts. And that's why we can't compromise. That's why we can't ever divorce our work from gospel proclamation, because that's the only thing that lasts. It's the only thing that matters. And it's ultimately the reality that we work with and why we are so stubborn towards defending the gospel and defending our ability to make that gospel known in everything that we do, because we, we want to make sure that this reality of Easter is ultimately what changes the lives and the trajectories of those that we work with. And so in this post-row world, in this first Easter, there's time to celebrate what the Lord has accomplished. But there's also time to look at the mission ahead and to say, we've got a mission and we need to get out of our places of security. Uh, we need to get out of our places of, of temporary rest and relaxation and comfort. And we need to care for these women. We need to care for these children and we need to care for these families in such a way that makes the gospel of Christ Jesus known. And beloved, as we come to this weekend, I pray that even as Dr. Rick started us off with, that this isn't just about a Super Bowl Sunday where we're going to have to put the temporary chairs in the aisles. While we hope there are temporary chairs in the aisles because we want as many to come and hear the gospel of Christ Jesus, we know that's not the hope. The hope is not in the pastel colors that we are going to wear, and it's not even in, and I don't even know if this is a thing, being able to wear white now because people are wearing white uh, between Labor Day and Easter, so I don't even know if it's a thing anymore, but used to, it was a thing. You couldn't wear white until uh, after Easter. It's that's not what this is about. This isn't about the new Sunday dress or the hat. This is about the hope. The reason that all those things come to be is because it's a celebration of joy, the vibrancy of life, of knowing that we have gone from death to life. We have gone from orphan to son to daughter to child. We have gone truly from death to life. And so we celebrate. We not only celebrate, but we celebrate in such a way that it spreads and that spreads throughout every tribe and every tongue and every nation, the glory of Christ Jesus, the hope of the nations who we celebrate at Easter. Well, thank you for joining us for the Defender podcast and for the venerable Dr. Rick. I thank you for listening and we hope to see you again next week on April 12th when we will continue to help you defend the fatherless. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. 
follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.